welcome to episode 175 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is the first 40 miles. Today on the first 40 miles, Hockey may be better with Wayne Gretzky, but who are the people that you want to backpack with? Then on today's Summit Gear Review, a gear repair that takes less than 15 minutes and leaves your gear looking cooler by far than your friend's gear. And we're sharing a hack today from one of our listeners that will give you many data points along the trail. All this and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. Our new Backpacking Hacks book is out. It's volume three, Tried and True Tricks of the Trail. And if you want to check that out, you can go to thefirst40miles.com slash shop or to Amazon or iTunes. But I started thinking about what is it that makes backpacking hacks so much fun? It's not that they're inexpensive or that they save you time, they save you money, they uh, solve a problem. I think what it really boils down to is that a backpacking hack is like a friend offering you a little piece of advice of something that they learned on the trail. It's like having a friend in your back pocket, a really tiny square friend in your back pocket. So when I wrote the intro to Backpacking Hacks Volume 3, I really focused on the benefit of friends on the trail. The fact that backpacking is better with friends. Neither Josh or I have ever tried solo backpacking, so we really can't say if backpacking is better by yourself. But there really are a lot of great benefits to backpacking with people who all have the same goal. I've listened to quite a few interviews of solo backpackers, uh, mostly through hikers, because uh, I guess for a through hiker, you have to accept that you're going to spend solo time on the trail. If you pair up with someone, then whenever you slow down, that slows down your pair. And whenever they slow down, it slows down your pair. And you, you just never get done with the 2,000 plus mile trail. That can be tough. So I can understand uh, through hikers really needing to be ready to go solo. But uh, in those interviews, they've talked about what it's like to hike solo. And uh, they've had some really cool experiences. And so it makes me think about hiking solo. And then I go out on a trip. And I think during the daytime, I can imagine hiking solo and I'm just fine. And then for some reason at night, it just feels strange to be all alone. You know, I leave camp to go to the bathroom and walk maybe 30 seconds away from camp, just far enough to be away from the light and the, the sounds of camp and the, the tent. And it just feels so different out there. So I guess that's all to say, solo hiking is really intriguing to me, but I've never actually done it. And I don't know when I will. And if you ever do try it out, come back with a top five list, at least. <laughs> <laughs> top five things that you learned while, while going on this trip. Right. Uh, the top five ways that solo hiking is better than hiking with friends. I may have this completely life-changing experience if I ever try it someday. Well, we've definitely thought of some reasons that backpacking is better with friends. In fact, that is today's top five list. If you're not already convinced that backpacking is better with friends, maybe today's list will give you some good reasons to get a group together. So before we jump into the list, I have a question for you, Heather. 
When you say backpacking is better with friends, does that include family? Does that include spouse and children? Or are we talking about how much better it is to reach outside of your own family relationships and go backpacking with friends? I include my family. Okay. Because my family are my friends. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> right. Our best friends are related to us. Exactly. <laughs> but it's maybe something to think about, though. Because um, I think we get a lot of the benefits of backpacking with friends when we go with just each other or when we go as a family. But I don't know that we get all of the benefits of backpacking with friends unless we take some trips with people outside of our family. Right. We have this one friend that is a map guy. We don't have any map guys in our family. So the I guess the richness and the depth of his knowledge really is useful on the trail. And of course, everyone else that we've backpacked with also has this really deep and unique set of skills and experience that enhance our experience on the trail. And you're right, we don't get that from the little people in our family. We're getting different benefits and different experiences from hiking and backpacking with them. Yeah, and when we backpack with our friends outside of our own family, we're exposed to new jokes that we haven't heard before <laughs> and and also new... Jokes um, that we wish we had never heard. Well, maybe. <laughs> and new stories that we've never heard before as well. True. Because they can share trips that they went on where we weren't there. And You're going to turn this really into like a top seven list. Yeah, I know. We haven't even gotten to number one yet. <laughs> well, the number one reason that backpacking is better with friends is you get a shared experience that strengthens or develops that friendship. So these friends that we get together with, after our trips, we watch slideshows of the trip. Uh, we're always asking each other about upcoming trips. We're interested in what's going on in their lives because we've developed this friendship on the trail. Right. And, you know, Steve will stop by and say, hey, I got a new tent. It's two pounds lighter. <laughs> it's going to be great for my PCT section hike this summer. Uh, you know, things like that that we talk about and, and bond over. But it goes beyond that. It goes beyond just talking about the trips we've been on and the trips that are coming up, the backpacking stuff. Uh, it's deeper than that. And we talk about lots of other things because we're friends. Because when we were on the trail for a whole week, we got to know each other more than just by, you know, our hiking style or, or that kind of stuff. Although I guess that sort of is a glimpse into life, isn't mm -hmm. it? Packing style. I mean, anyone who sees me on the trail is going to know that not only on the trail, but in every aspect of my life, I'm a minimalist and stay extremely organized. There's these attributes that come out on the trail that you really learn about people and you share that experience and and get to know people in a different way. Oh, definitely. Like our friend Brenda, she came on the hike with a backpacking toilet, which she had seen online. She just watched a video and then her and her husband figured out how to make it so that it was ultra light. They used all the right materials. And that was a small glimpse into her life. She is a creator. She loves, like right now, her and her husband are building a house and a lot of the work they're doing themselves. So I guess you live how you hike. And her husband runs a machine shop so you see these attributes that come out in all these different areas of people's lives. You see the evidence of that during this week that you spend together on a backpacking trip. The number two reason that backpacking is better with friends is that they are your on-site search and rescue. Hiking solo is a gamble. You may be fine. You'll probably be fine. But I'd rather go with a group who will have my back. 
And solo hikers will admit to this, and they take extra precautions to make sure they stay on trail and that they don't take undue risks because they have to know that they don't have a search and rescue person 10 feet behind them or 10 feet ahead of them. At a recent church meeting, one of the speakers told a story of this scout troop that decided to summit Mount Shasta. So they hiked up to the top, and at the top, one of the adult leaders tripped and fell backward over the edge of a cliff, free-falling about 40 feet, and then continued to tumble down this slope for about 300 more feet. So he had this group of people at the top of Mount Shasta that were watching this tragedy unfold. And then one of the incredible, I guess, coincidences of this tragedy is that when the man finally came to a stop, the first people that reached him were a group of hikers that were coming up the mountain who were rescue guides and emergency medical professionals. So they were able to treat him. And then his group up at the top, they were able to join him And then someone in the group also happened to have one of those communication devices, I guess. I don't know which one it was, but they were able to contact 911 and get real help for this man. But I love how in the moment of this trauma that there were people there to help this man out. And I think that is one of the huge benefits of hiking with others. You have people who can help you. So you have You have this team of people, this on-site search and rescue. And on the other hand, we've all read those stories about a lone hiker who went missing, and that's pretty much the end of the story. And then a few months later, we get the follow-up story. A body was found. It looks like they fell. And reading between the lines, we can see that if someone had been with them, then help could have been summoned. But no one was with them, and no one even knew where they were or what happened. It sounds so bleak. It really does. It sounds like we're trying to scare people, but we're really not. The buddy system... Yeah, there's a reason why the scouts use it. It's relevant. <laughs> it really is relevant. And and solo hikers can take precautions to make sure they have ways of staying in touch. And, you know, they can take the satellite devices and things like that. But boy, we just love having that instant readiness of the group of hikers that we're with when we know that if we have a problem, they're there instantly. The number three reason that backpacking is better with friends is efficiency. And this is efficiency in your gear and in your food. You can share a stove, you can share a tent, you can share a water filter, you can share all your extra food at the end of the night. You know, sharing things is a little bit risky because if someone has a water filter and you're not hiking with them and you run out of water, you know, you got to kind of figure that out. Sticking close together is the first thing that comes to mind. And having check-in points, I guess, you know, we're going to meet up here at this creek. Let's stop. Let's reassess and uh, see how everyone's doing. The great thing about sharing stuff is that it divides the weight. So say you have a five-pound tent. If there's two of you, that's two and a half pounds each. That's great. Yeah, well, and especially when you get a two and a half pound tent, you know, so then you've got just over a pound (laughs) each. That's great. And there is the risk of something failing. Let's say you have a group and you only have one water purification method among the whole group, and that method fails, then your whole group is stuck. So there should be some redundancy. Maybe you've got two or three water purification methods among a group of maybe four or five or six people. If one fails, you've still got a couple others that you can utilize more. Now, if you're hiking by yourself, yep, you're still going to need that second form of water purification 
which will probably just be some tablets or aquamira, something very compact that you can use as a backup to your primary water purification method. But as a group, you get to spread that out. The number four reason backpacking is better with friends is that you can make better decisions. Perhaps. <laughs> Everyone in the group can contribute to problem solving. But what's the flip side of、uh, group problem solving? Group think. Group think. So, not everyone in your group is going to be a genius. I'm not speaking from experience. <laughs> we're、we've, not saying anything about our hiking group, huh? We, <laughs> no, we we're love, not really. <laughs> really, we love everyone we've hiked with. But I'm just saying, in general, when I've worked with groups, not everyone is a genius. And sometimes the most outspoken and persuasive person can be the biggest risk taker. And the most genius person can be the quietest person. Not always. But honestly, I've never heard of an outspoken risk avoider. Yeah, seems like the two kind of go together. <laughs> yeah, so this one kind of comes with a caveat: you may make better decisions when you're with a group of friends. Or there may be one outspoken risk taker, and everyone says, or everyone thinks, "Oh, well, they seem to think it's okay. They say it's okay. It must be okay." <laughs> and you all go beyond your own risk comfort level because there's this one person that seems so confident. But for us, with our backpacking group, as I think back to the Timberline Trail, our first forty miler, this group decision-making process worked really well for us. We had quite a few river crossings on that hike, and depending on the time of the day, as the glacier melt got more and more as the the sun melted those glaciers, toward early evening, you had some raging torrents of glacier runoff coming down these rivers. Some truly dangerous situations where if you had a misstep and you got into the water, the water current was so strong that it was going to pick you up and take you right on down the hill. And you had to be careful, and you had to make sure that you weren't putting yourself in a situation where one misstep was going to send you down the mountain. And I really appreciated that we had a group that we had. Was that seven of us all thinking about the best way to cross the river and going hiking up and down the river several hundred yards to try to find the best location? We'd come back together and say, "Well, I think I found a spot down here," and someone else would say, "I think I found a spot up here." We'd check out and compare those two spots and weigh the risks and you know how doable they would be, and really thought it through. Yeah, it took some time, but I'm worried that on my own I might have just come up to the river and said, or thought to myself, "Oh, here's a river I need to cross. Okay, I will jump across this river without even thinking about the risks." So I'm glad that we had the group to make the best decision we could. And the number five reason backpacking is better with friends is that you learn things from each other. And for me, this is the biggest benefit of all. It means that you have that library of collective knowledge and experience. Josh was just talking about the river crossings, and I think I probably would have done the same thing. I would have looked at the river and said, "Okay, I will, you know, bounce across, just figure it out my own way. Maybe kick over a couple rocks, or I don't know what I would do." But、um, the fact that we had experienced people with us who knew the risks, the dangers. They took the little warning signs seriously, and there were some things that we did, like we took off our packs before we went across, because if we were to fall in the water, a weighted pack would have just dragged us underneath the water. So this collective knowledge was so powerful; it helped me sift out and sort out what things to take seriously and what things I could kind of, 
you know, be a little less concerned about. And lots of little stuff we got to learn. Uh, different people had different approaches to their dinners. So there were some freeze-dried meals. There were also some home dehydrated meals, a whole variety of things. So that's really fun to learn what other people bring in terms of food or gear, um, how they set up camp, uh, what their daily schedule is like. You just learn so much because you kind of get used to the way that you do things. And so it's really helpful and, and really, I think, inspiring to see how other people do things and then take what you like from those examples. Well, one of the things that I learned on that very first backpacking trip is you want to empty out your tent before you take the poles out of your tent. For some reason, I was, you know, excited, ready to go that next morning, and I was ready to take off. So I took the poles out of the tent, and Josh looked at me and said, aren't you going to empty out the tent first? <laughs> uh, so little things like that, like just little newbie mistakes where... People can help you along the way and say, hey, why don't you put away the sleeping pad and the sleeping bag and kind of empty stuff out. Then we can take down the tent. So you don't have to have a huge group of friends to benefit from backpacking with friends. You can have a buddy. You can bring your kids along. You can take your spouse with you. There are lots of different ways of connecting with people who want to go backpacking with you. I think it's important to note that when it comes to friends, more is not better on the trail. Back in the 70s, I think, the Boy Scouts of America came out with a statement saying, we need to limit the number of boys that are traipsing down the trail all at once. So these troops that had 30 or 40 boys and 10 leaders, that would be such a fun experience to be with that group. But they realized the impact that it had on the trail and they've encouraged troops to limit the number of boys that go on the trail at a time. So we'd love to hear about your experience backpacking with friends. What else have you learned from your friends? What experiences have you had? And if you want to share those stories, it's another thing. Stories are always better with friends. Yeah. <laughs> you have a witness and someone who can uh, maybe Help elaborate. <laughs> yes, elaborate a little bit with you. Um, we'd love to hear those stories. You can share them at thefirst40miles.com slash story. For today's Summit Gear Review, we'll be reviewing the No-So Puffy Patch, spelled N-O-S-O. -O. Yeah, and I saw it spelled first, and it wasn't until we started talking about it that I heard it and heard No-So. So you don't have to stitch on this patch. Yeah. It's like a peel and stick. And you put it in the dryer. It's really easy to use. This is, they call it the fashionable do-it-yourself repair patch for clothes and outdoor gear. So these are patches. They're colorful, different shaped nylon patches with a permanent adhesive on the back that can repair your gear. So you can repair sleeping bags, down jackets, tents, tarps, anything made of nylon. Probably not sleeping pads. So this is mostly clothing and... Oh, you mean uh, an inflatable sleeping pads? Right. So this is not to repair And sleeping pads, sleeping pads come with their own patches. Right. To use the no-sew puffy patch, you need to clean the damaged area with isopropyl alcohol. That removes all the oils and stuff that can prevent the patch from sticking. And then kind of remove the loose threads. Then you take the paper backing off of the patch and stick the patch over the hole and just apply pressure kind of from the center to the outside edges. Make sure it's nice and smooth. And that will be a temporary patch. However, if you want to make the patch stick permanently, 
you need to apply some heat. So they say to just toss your item in the dryer for 15 minutes, and then when it comes out, then you apply pressure again, kind of in a circular motion, for about 30 seconds until the patch cools down. I wonder, though, if you could use a blow dryer. Blow dryers blow pretty hot, so you might have to kind of turn down the the heat, but you could probably warm up the patch enough to get the adhesive kind of activated. It probably could. I wonder if that 15 minutes is important to get the adhesive warmed up for a long enough period of time that it um, it kind of gets in between yeah. all of the fibers and really creates that strong bond. Exactly. Yeah. For mass, these patches weigh less than a gram. They're so lightweight. And they have all different sizes and shapes of the patches. They're all going to be a little bit different anyway. But it's not going to add serious weight to your gear like a scout patch would. These are these are thin, <laughs> super thin. For maintenance, you don't need any special treatment once the patch is permanently attached. And they say it withstands repeated washings, but we've only tested it on a down sleeping bag. So it's not something that we've tested fully yet. We haven't washed the down bag multiple times. For investment, the patches come in all different sizes and shapes that range from $5 to $15. So the most basic puffy patch they have is a big rectangle that you can use to cut out whatever shape you want, and that's $5. But then the other more specialized patches are kind of cool, and they have those in sets. So you can get like a set that has a heart, a flower, and a butterfly in it. Or they have a mustache set that has mustaches, kind of a cross, and a skull and crossbones. They have kind of a kid set that has stars and lightning bolts and hearts. There's a set that has a kitty cat, a snowflake looking thing, and a what is that animal that has, it's like a lion with wings. Is that a griffin or? Yeah, something like I that. I can't remember. Do not know myth, I do not know my mythical beasts. <laughs> but all the patch sets are really interesting. There's one with a cowboy riding a horse. So whatever you're into, they probably have a patch that matches it. And it's just a fun way to repair your gear and have a little bit of your personality shine through in your gear. Yeah, the cowboy riding the horse, that's the Wyoming set. Very cool. So one of the things that makes these patches different from other patches is that the edges don't gum up on the sides. Have you ever had that, like where you put some duct tape on something and it's still sticky on the sides and just kind of starts attracting hair and fuzz and ends up just being so gross. Anyway, once these are permanently activated and attached, nothing will pull them off and they're they're on to stay, which is really cool because then you can reuse and repair your gear instead of, you know, having to do this little stitch up job with a needle and thread that ends up stressing the fabric more. You have this nice secure patch on that's going to make your gear last a long time. And I tried this patch on my Enlightened Equipment backpacking quilt. We found kind of like a cut in the bag, a knife cut, which is weird because it, it didn't go through to the other side. It was just like this little half-inch cut. Little feathers were trying to escape. I have no idea what happened. Maybe it got snagged on something like a knife. <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, I patched it up with a no-sew puffy patch. And one of the things you might want to be kind of aware of when you're putting the patch on is that the patches are translucent. So if you're putting a patch on something darker, you'll be able to see the cut or the, you know, little fibers inside of your jacket or your down sleeping bag through the puffy patch. 
So you might want to kind of pull it together, see what you can do to make sure that you're making it look the way that you want it to look. <laughs> Some people care about these kinds of things more than other people, but yeah, you can see through the patch. Overall, I like that translucency because it makes it kind of fit in better, I think, <laughs> with, uh, with the fabric of the piece that you're fixing. So like on your Enlightened Equipment Enigma quilt, this cut was on the inside, which is a black fabric, and then you used a red star from Noso to patch over that black fabric. And because it's somewhat translucent, it darkens up the red star. And so it doesn't look so out of place. I think it looks really nice. Cool. Well, I love the idea of kind of personalizing your gear. And especially when you know that it'll make your gear last longer and uh, express who you are. I think that's really cool. And especially for kids. So if you can have a emergency stash of these no-so puffy patches, then when something happens and they run through a patch of blackberry bushes or they biff it on the trail, you'll be able to repair their gear. You can do it right on the trail as a temporary fix. And then when you get home, you can do the permanent fix where you toss the item in the dryer and it's a really solid repair job. And kids love personalized stuff. But of course, th these aren't just for kids, but... Definitely, if you have kids, keep a spare stash in your 10 essentials. Or if you're one of those people, one of those adults that like to run through blackberry bushes, these are for you. So we'll have a link to the No-So Puffy Patches in today's show notes at thefirst40miles.com slash 175. And today's backpack hack of the week is a map for everyone. We were contacted by Paul, who gave us today's hack. And he said when he goes hiking with his friends, every single person brings a map. And the really cool thing about this is that not every map is the same. And so when you bring different maps, you'll have one that maybe gives the elevations and the lakes and major junctions. Maybe one will show forest cover. Another will show trails that other maps don't show. You may have a map that's outdated and someone else may have a more updated map. So it's beneficial to have a map for everyone. They don't all have to be different from each other, but at least having, you know, another option, another map to look at and kind of um, checking them against each other. This worked really well on our Timberline trip, uh, our first 40 miles around Mount Hood. In our group, we had several different maps and we found different strengths in each map. Though I gotta say, the map that we took the Green Trails S-Series yeah. map, which we reviewed in episode, can you it's guess? one of the first 10, because I just looked it up. It was like episode four, maybe? Wow, it is one of the first 10. It's episode number eight. Ah. Our Green Trails S-Series map of the Timberline Trail, I think, was the most useful one. And it was the one that everyone else kept coming to us to look at. It had the whole trail mapped out nicely on one map. But then when you flipped it over, you had that elevation chart. And that was really cool to say, okay, yeah. you know... Coming up today, this is what our elevation is going to look like. You can read that on a regular topographical map, but you have to kind of translate it in your head. You're like, okay, those lines are close together or count them up. Oh, there's 10 of them. That means we're going to go up 2,000 feet or whatever. It was a lot easier to flip over this green trails map and just see the elevation graph and say, oh, we're going up today. <laughs> we're going down tomorrow by, you know, X thousands of feet. So thank you, Paul, for sharing that hack. See, his hack proves that backpacking really is better with friends. Paul's one of our friends. Yeah. We're officially friends, Paul. I think we have been for a while. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 
Paul interacts with us a lot on our social media accounts. Yeah, and we always learn something from our friends. And we'll leave you today with a little trail wisdom from our good friend on the trail, Hal Borland. He was a U.S. journalist and naturalist. He said, We have the peculiar privilege, the freedom to walk this earth, see its beauties, taste its sweetness, partake of its enduring strength. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. You can order our most recent book, 40 Backpacking Hacks, Volume 3, on Amazon or iTunes. We'll see you next time on the first 40 miles. saying something about personalizing gear and he said <laughs> you wouldn't believe what he said next <laughs> <laughs> <And> then, <laughs> uh, <laughs>